him, God, thank you that, that you're real. Uh, thank you that you've chosen to reveal yourself in the, primarily in the person and work of Jesus. And thank you for revealing who you are and what you're like and what you're about through this wonderful written revelation. Uh, God, would you expose the spaces in us this morning that need to be? God, would we be humble enough to receive the word? Would you give our hearts soil that is fertile to dig some roots down? to establish ourselves in truth and not what culture, not what people, not what media, not what even maybe sometimes our own opinions think, but align it solely to what you say and how you think. Help us to trust that. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Luke chapter 9. If, um, if you're kind of unfamiliar with the gospel of Luke, um, there's really one chapter that's really important to know, and that's this chapter. And the reason that it's so important to know this chapter is because this chapter is really uh, the door hinge of the gospel according to Luke. And what's going to happen is, is Jesus is really going to end his ministry in Galilee, and he's going to turn his face towards Jerusalem and head towards Golgotha, where he will ultimately suffer and die and be buried and rise again for all those he will call and ransom to himself through the shed blood of his own sacrifice alone. And so um, this is huge because he's basically going to finish off kind of the preaching healing ministry. He'll still do it, but he's going to get much more into uh, the direction of the cross of Jesus Christ. So he's been establishing his ministry. He's been training up apostles. He actually commissioned them in the beginning of the chapter to go preach and teach and heal, um, all to validate the message of what they were preaching of the kingdom of God. He needed some extra hands, so he, he sends others to go do that. And here's what you're going to see um, this morning. And, and I, I always say, I only get as far as I get in preaching, okay, so or in studying. So I don't, I don't like, I'm not one of those guys who are super gifted and they have like the next three years planned out for sermon, you know, series or whatever. I kind of get my head down and I go till I stop, okay? So I only got through verse 50, okay, today, but um, I think it's because there's some beautiful things in here. So we're going to look at 46 to 50, and here's what you're going to see this morning. You're going to see that... Um, of all the things the disciples have seen, these apostles, they've seen preaching, they've seen teaching, they've seen miracles, they've seen demons cast out, they've seen the dead raised to life, they've seen limbs given to the lame, they've seen the deaf hear, the blind see, they've seen all of these things. We just had Peter, James, and John on the Mount of Transfiguration saw the actual glory of Christ. They hung out with Moses and Elijah. Tremendous things. Here they are arguing over who's better. Like they've seen tremendous glory and now they're caught in an argument wondering who's better than the other person. Silliness, right? That's where we're going to pick up this morning and, and, and it's awesome because Jesus is going to walk in on us. The one dude you don't want walking in on when you're in sin or kind of having a conversation you shouldn't, it's him. Because uh, he already knows you're talking about anyways, but then when he's actually physically present walking in, that's really bad. So um, here, I love this. Jesus is going to do what he does always, and I love that he does this. Whenever he sees a space in you that needs reworking, he gives you a lesson. So he's going to actually spot what's wrong and then kind of just teach him a lesson. Here's what it says in verse 46. An argument arose among them, this is the disciples, the apostles, as to which of them was the greatest. But Jesus, knowing the reason of their hearts, took a child and put him by his side and said to them, Whoever receives this child in my name receives me, and whoever receives me receives him who sent me. For he who is least among you all is the one who is great. Okay, so if you go to Matthew and Mark, they actually give you a little bit more information. This is actually taking place in Capernaum, and it's, it's at a house. It's probably Peter's house, because anytime they went back to Capernaum, they hung out in Peter's house. And so um, they're having this discussion, they're having this dialogue here, and um, they're arguing over who's going to be the greatest in this kingdom that Jesus is going to set up. 
Okay, so Jesus has been talking about this from the beginning of his ministry. I mean, since Old Testament history began, they knew that someone was going to come, a Messiah was going to come, a king was going to come to set up his rule and reign. The problem is, they thought it was going to be now, right? So we're, we're seeing that happen throughout Luke. They, they want him to take the throne now. Jesus is constantly resisting that because there's a plan not to take the throne, but to actually die for sin. He'll ultimately take the throne and fully reestablish a new creation. He's already on the throne in the, in the spiritual sense of root, reigning and ruling over all things, but in the messianic sense, there's still more work to be done. It's not time for him to just kind of overthrow Rome and make them free of what they don't like. And so here it's amazing because they've already forgotten that Jesus just said, hey, let this sink into your hard heads. I'm going to die. I'm going to suffer. They've, they've, they've already forgotten, hey, um, if you're going to follow me, you deny yourself, you pick up your cross, and you follow me. They, they've already forgotten about all that. They're, they're already going, hey, hey, this kingdom that Jesus is going to set up, I mean, who's going to be better, right? And you can just kind of hear them discussing this, right? Because they were commissioned to, to be sent out to, to preach, teach, and heal. I mean, you could, hey, Andrew, how many demons did you cast out? Six? I did nine, bro. So I'm, I'm bigger than you, right? Or, or they might be talking about, hey, Philip, how many, how many people did you heal? Five? I, I had seven. Or then you got Peter, James, and John. Trump card of all trump cards. I saw Jesus in his glory, right? I hung out with Moses and Elijah. How about them apples? You got nothing on me, right? I mean, they're all debating about all this stuff they've done, all the ways that they have just built up their ranking, built up their worth, built up their esteem. All the while, Jesus is like, did you guys not hear what I said? There, there's something gruesome coming. There, there's, there's suffering ahead. And you're busy arguing about who's in the right pecking order? And, and profound as, as we see them arguing, discussing, and, and what's, what's going on here? Pride, right? Something that's plagued the human heart since Genesis 3. <laughs> that, that we know better than God. That, that we're so preoccupied with our wants and what we think and... We're just seeing pride ooze in here. And here's what's amazing to me. Um, you're seeing it. One of the things pride does is creates an immediate segregation in the family of God, making some people JV and some people varsity. That's one of the first things pride does, which you're seeing right here. Because um, God, God built relationships to, to be those acts of service, of humility, of Look at the interests of others. So when there's pride, if there's ever a fracture in relationships, whether it's marriage, whether it's friendship, whether it's, it's, it's usually pride. That's usually a tall tale sign. So, so if, if the relationship isn't functioning or working in the right way on someone's end, there's, pride has entered that space. And it started segregation where they think they are better, more worthy, owed more. And so you look down on the other person. We see this often in marriages, right? And we forget that the, the biblical marriage is I will love you, I will serve you, I will give to you, I will care for you regardless of you. Right? There's no JV varsity. It's, it's I've been pursued by Christ in his love when he died for me as I was a sinner. So there's nothing I've ever done to obtain that. So there's no possibility for pride because I didn't come to the cross of Christ with any credentials. Right? I, didn't, I didn't have anything to barter with. I didn't have anything to give him. And so Jesus alone, in the, in the image of him loving us in the gospel, we now do that in relationships, do that in marriage. The disciples should be doing this among one another. And they're so prideful in what God has done in them and given them that they're already forgetting the reality that neither is better. And as Jesus is just finished telling them of future suffering, they're arguing over their personal glory. 
you've got the first preachers ever commissioned to preach the kingdom of God, arguing over who's a better preacher. Now, you can bet historically, if you've got God's leaders historically arguing over who's better, it's going to happen to God's people, right? It's just a trickle effect, right? You can go to 1 Corinthians 3, and you see this, right? The, the Corinthian church is so caught up in who, what preacher they like better, who they like listening to. And here's what's crazy. The conclusion is, because I like so-and-so, I'm better than you. So because I like listening to Paul, I'm actually better horizontally than you. What does that have to do with you and him? No, I really like Apollos. He's a lot better, so I'm better than you. And you have this dialogue and debate. You know, Paul will just walk into that space and be like, cut that out. You guys realize there's nothing. You're just seed throwers. God makes the truth grow. You're just, you're just throwing out the message. There's nothing magical in you, magical in them. You're totally missing it. And this is why, guys, we've got to understand that, that, that it's God speaking. This is why it's, it's so important. I mean, just think about throughout your life, because this was super convicting for me. Um, walking into a church, walking into a, a place, it's either not the guy you thought would be, or you're not quite sure they're like that other guy. Now, I'm not talking about someone who's not teaching the truth of scriptures, the truth of Christ. I'm talking about somebody who, who preaches in the name of Jesus and teaches the truths of Jesus. I mean, how different would it be if you knew this morning, walking in, that God himself was going to bust through the ceiling and speak to you? I mean, all of us would be like, Right? I mean, we're, we're ready. Like, like, give me the word. I want to hear what you want to say. Well, any time a preacher ordained by God gets up to speak, it's God speaking to you through him. I mean, so, so how eager would we be if we get away from this, well, I don't know how gifted they are. I don't know that I like his personality. Okay, I get there's dislikes and likes, but if you, if you remember, at the end of the day, it's God speaking. How eager would you be to come in and listen? It, it would transform your church experience. Because you're going, God, I want to hear from you, and I know you have prepared to speak to me today, and so just open up my ears. Help me to get away from all things. I think it was Spurgeon or Edwards who said they, they loved preaching and seeing the person basically was the, pre- the object of the preacher hiding behind the pulpit and God just speaking over them. You don't see them. You just hear the words. You hear the truth. I mean, a lot we could learn from this, so we're seeing this here. We're seeing the breeding of this, and here's the other thing that you'll see here. These were the same ordinary guys that Jesus called months earlier. And they've already forgotten who they were before Jesus called them. So the more that God gives them, the more Jesus gives them, the more leadership, the more grace, the more prideful they become and not more humble, being fully aware they didn't deserve to be called by Jesus in the first place. Can we, can we never forget who we were before we met Jesus? Right? I mean, I mean, another tall tale sign of pride is that you have spiritual amnesia as to who you were before you met Jesus. And so you look down on everybody else as pagan, wicked. I can't believe they struggle with that. Forgetting that either you did or still do or had a different sin that maybe you thought was better on the ranking. And you just start seeing pride creep into your heart because you've forgotten who you were before you met Jesus. That's why Titus 3 gives you a great word. As were some of you. As we were, but God. 
We need to constantly be brought back to who we were before we met Jesus. And, and this is why, if, if you're not a Christian in here, or you're like wondering what, what Christians believe, it, we don't believe that, that because we're good we receive. We believe that we received when we weren't good. And that, that, that wows us, that, that humbles us, that causes affections in us for a God that died for us while we were sinners. He died for you while you were a sinner. So we have no boasting. So we enter into the people of God and relate among the people of God the same way he brought you in. We no longer all of a sudden turn our cheek going, I somehow brought something in that makes me better. No, the ground is always level from start to finish. And it creates a really, really healthy unlike this situation atmosphere. And so they're having this argument in their pride. They're forgetting who they were when Jesus called them. They're getting into petty discussions. And Mark says Jesus walks in on them and they're silent. I love that. You can picture them going, shoot. Oh, don't, do you think Jesus heard us? Do you think Jesus heard what we were just talking about? And I love, I love this in verse 47 here, but Jesus knowing the reason of their hearts. Jesus knows the problem is a heart problem. So, a proud person has a proud heart. It's always a heart issue. Always. The issues that we see that bubble up in you are always a heart issue. That's why I'm always saying you've got to get at the roots, not the weeds. Not the branches. The branches, the weeds, the fruit, those just expose what's in the heart. Right? That just expose what's really down there. Look at what Jesus will say in Mark chapter 7. Jesus knows the reason why they were arguing, and he knew it was because of their hearts. Look at Mark 7, verse 21. From within, out of men's hearts, this is Jesus saying this, come evil thoughts, sexual morality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, envy, slander, arrogance, it's pride, and folly. All of these things come from inside and made a man unclean. Okay, so wherever you see pride, wherever you see any sin, it's really just the manifestation of the heart. So it's really just you're showing realities of what's really going on inside your heart. And this is why, this is what we got to understand. Sin is not really a behavior. Sin is really a heart's response to something. So it's really a behavior that's a relation to your heart. It's actually a state of a heart that leads to behavior. That's why the good news is not about just training you to be somebody or conforming you to a pattern of religion. It's about transforming you. Because if he doesn't get at your heart and make you new, you have no hope. Okay, otherwise you're just going out every day looking at your lawn and you start just mowing over the weeds, right? And you got like two days where you're like, man, the yard looks awesome. And then like three days later, the weeds just start sprouting up, right? Because you don't dig down and get the root out. And we do this all the time. So, so here's what I'm saying. If we don't understand that our issue, that our fundamental problem as human beings made in the image of God is a heart problem, then all you're going to do your whole life is mow over weeds. That's all you're going to do. And, and you will have benchmarks of frustration, bitterness, and just anger in your spiritual and mental life. Because you're constantly going out just trying to mow over the weeds. And, and here's what's beautiful about the gospel is the gospel deals not just with the outward actions of sin, but the nature of sin. Right? He gives you a new heart. He actually transforms you and conforms you to his image. He actually creates in you new desires. So, so your mind is infected, your, your heart's infected, so affections actually grow differently. So you actually long to hate your sin and put it to death and actually walk in holiness. 
So, so your heart gets changed, but you constantly have to go back to what is changing you and who you were before you met Jesus, realizing that your heart was wicked, that the nature of your sin needed to be dealt with, and you couldn't deal with that. The scriptures will call it alienation, right? Colossians 1 will call it that, where, where you basically take all that God gives you and use it for you and not for him. That, that's intrinsically built into you by sin. We're all sons of Adam and daughters of Adam. So that's in you. You can't get away from that. And yet the cross of Jesus Christ deals with that. So we're seeing naturally from the hearts of these disciples. And as they're arguing over who's the greatest, I love it. Jesus gives a lesson on humility. He just gives them a lesson. Comes in, interrupts their argument, knows what they're dealing with. Here's what he says in, uh, I think it's verse 47, 48. And he took the chi- a child and put him by his side and said to them, Whoever receives this child in my name receives me, and whoever receives me receives him who sent me. For he who is least among you all is the one who is great. I want to put Matthew 18 up there too, same account, just because it gives a lot more weight and helpfulness as you see this. He said, same account, same time. Truly I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. So Jesus finds a, a child in Peter's house, likely, and pulls him next to him. I think Mark says he actually holds him, so he's a little child. And he says, hey, you want an illustration on humility? This, this child's perfect for one. Why does he grab a child? Okay, first, you, you got to understand, first century, women and children were looked at as like second-class citizens. They didn't have much to give society. You have Jewish rabbis, they wouldn't even teach someone under the age of 12 that was a waste of time. And it's not in the sense of love, it's in the sense of contribution. Like, like, like children don't contribute anything. Little kids, right? Other than cuteness, right? I mean, they contribute that, that's awesome, that's solid, but like they don't give a whole lot, not of a, a lot of accomplishments, not a lot of merit. I mean, they just don't really give much to society when they're little, right? They're more just takers. You'll see this repeatedly in the New Testament. Every time little children want to come to Jesus, men will step in and be like, man, don't bother with them. Man, don't hand, and Jesus will outright rebuke them. But it's because they viewed children as people who don't really contribute to society. They don't really give much. Nothing to give, nothing to provide. And he's speaking here, and so this is what Jesus is saying. Have you guys forgotten how you enter the kingdom of heaven? You can't enter the kingdom of heaven bringing all your accolades. Like, like you, don't, you don't come to Jesus going, hey, look at all the stuff I've done. Maybe you'll like me, select me, pick me. He goes, no, when you enter the kingdom of heaven, it's straight grace and mercy. I mean, you came like a little child. You brought nothing. You didn't bring any merit. You didn't bring any accomplishment. You didn't bring anything. Right, you you got to humble yourself and turn and become like one of these children who realizes, I don't bring anything to the cross of Christ to get in. It's his grace alone that gets me in. So I just, I just come to him with all that I have, all that I am, not thinking that anything's earning anything. He's going, are you forgetting how you walked in, how you entered into the kingdom of heaven? Humbly. Realizing that you were just like this little child. There was nothing good that you did. I, I love that he gives this example here. You didn't come into the kingdom with anything to commend you. Nothing. You came like this child. And I also got this picture of like 
we don't, we don't enter through the pearly gates, whether they're pearly or not. We don't enter through the pearly gates as a graduate student, right? Like, you don't come with, oh, I finally reached my goals. I've accomplished all this. I've passed all the tests, and now he's going to let me in. No, you enter as an infant. I had nothing to bring. I got nothing to add, and he lets me in through grace alone. It's not because I've done all of this stuff. And, and I think Jesus is laying this beautiful picture here. Don't miss what else Jesus is saying, though. This is so humbling and awesome. Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. You ready for this? Everyone who's in the kingdom of heaven comes in like a child, which means everyone's a child which also means everyone is great. The disciples are consumed with ranking. Who's better? Who's not? And Jesus, I believe, is revealing here and reminding them that in the kingdom of heaven, this future kingdom, that you're wondering who's going to be great and not great. Did you know that everyone is the same? That the ground's level did you know that no one's going to be in there boasting that their mansion's bigger or their yard's cleaner or their actions are better performed? You know, there's, there's going to be none of that, that everyone's going to be great solely because of Jesus. So everyone in the future kingdom of heaven is great, not because of them, but because Jesus is great. Right? Like, we're not great because of who we are, but because whose we are. We're great because we're his. I mean, it's just profound here. I mean, he's actually laying out, he's giving them a, a picture of the future kingdom of God where everybody is the same in relation to him, right? There's, there's no pride, there's no room for anything because there's nothing you're going to be able to say in the kingdom of God that's going to make you better, make you less. Everyone is going to be great. Everyone is going to have entered like a child. Amazing. I, I thought this was so profound here. In the future kingdom, all Christians will be great because of who Jesus is. Now, how does this flesh out now and here as you see people specifically in the kingdom and family of God? Okay, okay so we all get a reality check. Those people you think you're better than, you think you're more spiritual than, you think that you have more sins fought and killed than them, you think your marriage is better than theirs. You, you, you walk into church and you kind of examine everybody and you think on given weeks that you're maybe better or less or whatever, right? Hold on. Reality check. In the kingdom, that, that's going to be forever. You're, you're the same. You're even. Like there's, there's going to be no boasting. Like no one's going to be better or less. That's profound to me. That's profound for how we interact as a family now. Because if I understand that the people around me, and look, I understand, God does give order, he does give structure, he gives people, he gives pastors, elders, he, he establishes a structure in a church so they can operate in a healthy and right way, but they aren't better than you, right? Elders aren't to walk around going, oh, looking down on everybody, lording over them. No, they're, they realize they're servants, they realize they, they pastor, they shepherd the sheep, not because they're better, because God's called them to a position to operate in that's healthy, but we don't get to heaven, and you don't see all the, the great preachers you know. This was, I mean, look, just pick your guy, right? Just pick your, like, hero of the faith. And you're going to walk in, you're going to be even. What? Is this, is this landing? 
Like, like you know what I mean? Like, like think about, this is what, and we're going to get to a few other places. I mean, think about 2 Peter. Go to 2 Peter. This made me think of this verse here that always just blew my mind. Peter says this. Peter, who's standing here having this argument, he writes a letter inspired by the Holy Spirit later, and he says this. Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Peter says, I'm an apostle. Guess what? We have a faith. If you're a Christian, you have a faith of equal standing as Peter. Do you believe that? Like walked on water, Peter? Like Peter followed Jesus, Peter? Like if Peter were here on the stage, if Peter came in, descended from glory, came down, and he stood on the stage would you believe that your faith is of equal standing as Peter? Or isn't there a massive Saudi that thinks, well, no, he's got a higher ranking. He was an apostle. Man, he, he was a guy who did Pentecost, man. I mean, 3,000 people came to Christ after that sermon. I mean, this is why I love, I think it's James 5, 17, Elijah. He's a man just like us. That's what James says. Wait, Elijah? The guy that, that called fire down from heaven. Yeah, he's a man just like you and me. Just like us. And I love, Peter says, why? Why is it of equal standing? It's not because Peter's great. He says, we, because by the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Why is a faith of equal standing? Because the righteousness that Peter received is the same righteousness that you and I receive in Jesus. <laughs> right? Holy smokes. This is insane. I mean, I, I'm, I'm, I'm reading this and looking at this this week, and I'm going, this is absolutely in, insane. Right? So, so here's what it is. So the great gospel, the great truth that we believe as Christians, okay, is that this glorious exchange that Jesus is not an ounce of sin. He was utter perfection. He was in the very essence and nature of God. He comes and lives that life, right? And he takes our sinful, wicked life and he puts it on himself and he gives us his righteousness. So here's the thing. Peter received that same righteousness. Sometimes I feel like we can think, well, he got Christ's righteousness, but then he kind of added his own too. That, that doesn't work. That actually makes him worse, you see what I'm saying? So it's solely the righteousness of Jesus that levels the playing field so that we're all on the same. No one has any reason to boast in the family of God. There's no, there's no room for pride because it just humbles all things. So in future glory, it will be that way. I know some of you guys are asking about eternal rewards. Well, what about eternal rewards? Well, here's what's so funny. Why are you asking that question? Pride. Gotcha. You see what I'm saying? So just, just, now, now, I know some of you guys, maybe you're just genuinely theologically going, what about eternal rewards? What about, and, and I believe absolutely that, that the Bible is clear that we will have eternal rewards, but I believe that every Christian will get the same reward of eternal life in all of its fullness. And, and I do believe that maybe you, this is me, maybe you'll be given responsibilities in your rewards, but I don't believe they make you more honorable. I don't believe that people are going to go, man, look at the way that he cleans the street of gold. Look at that guy. Look at, look at what Jesus has given. Look at the windowsill that he gave him on his man. I mean, I don't think that's, that's not going to be happening because it's without sin. It's without prejudice. It's without preference. 
Right? There's none of that. So, so, and if I read my Bible correctly, we're all going to be taking the very crowns that he gives us and chucking them back at him because he's awesome. And we're back to the same old richness of eternal life that he brought us all into anyways. So this is a profound, because this shapes right now how you see the person sitting next to you, how pastors see the sheep, how sheep see each other. This is very challenging. This is very challenging. Because we are by nature prideful, wanting, love to be our own God. And the gospel graciously removes that out from us. Well, here John's going to speak up. John's going to say something in the middle of this. And I think he's kind of just confessing. I think he's actually convicted. I think he's super convicted at hearing, oh, wait a second. Jesus totally just called us out on the pecking order we've been establishing and how we're all better and less. And so Jesus answers him and John, or John answers him basically tells him this, hey, master, we, we saw someone casting out demons in your name and we tried to stop him because he didn't follow us. And Jesus looked at him. Jesus humbles him big time and says, don't stop him. The one who's not against you is for you. So John is already convicted at the way that Jesus is calling out their sin of comparison. And he remembers the time that they were out and there was some stranger, fascinating, kind of perplexing text. Because at that point, there were only 12 that were sent out to do that. Maybe he's one of the future 72. I don't know. But, but clearly there was somebody who was out casting out demons in the name of Jesus. And if you look at Mark, Jesus affirms this as him actually having given him this power. So this guy's not a false teacher. And if he was, Jesus wouldn't have said, don't stop him. Because <laughs> Jesus tells us all the time to stop those who are false teachers. So this is a, a guy preaching in the name of Christ who is casting out demons that, that Jesus has given the authority to heal. And he's kind of caught red-handed going, okay, well, yeah, I guess I should confess this. I mean, I realize, well, a thief of comparison, I, I've been doing that. So, hey, Jesus, when we were out, yeah, we, we saw a guy cast out demons, and we kind of did that. Here's what Jesus is re- revealing here. That not only are you doing individual comparison, but individual comparison grows to group comparison. Right? So we pit that, that group organization versus them, that church versus that one. And, and here, Jesus humbles them and is silently saying to them, not only do you have pride individually towards each other, but collectively you think you're greater than anyone because you had some authority given to you to cast out demons. I can give it to anybody. You think you're great? Why are you not concerned with the kingdom going forward and advancing? Are you just concerned with your own fame and having some special authority and ability to cast out demons and heal people? I can give it to whoever I want, and I gave it to that guy. How do you like that? They're like, right? Nothing they can say there. Jesus is just graciously, lovingly humbling them, reminding them that you're nothing without me. You're nothing apart from me. All that you've been given, all that you have is mine anyways. So we have no room to boast as Christians. And pride tends to drive us into exclusivity, doesn't it? That's what you're seeing here. Very dangerous. Very dangerous. So we not only start ranking each other, 
we start ranking other groups and churches. Start ranking them. I'm not talking about those that do not preach Jesus and what Jesus taught. Okay, that's assumed. I'm talking about faithful brothers and sisters that preach the word of God, preach Christ crucified, and we rank them. I don't know if they're better than them. I don't know. I think we're kind of better than them. And the category of these ten, we're probably two. We do that in ourselves. We take groups and we, Jesus is something powerful. If they're not against you, they're for you. Like, what about advancing the cause of Jesus Christ? Now, listen, I'm not saying that we don't discern truth carefully. But once we know someone's faithfully preaching the truth of Christ, we love them and embrace them. Now, look, there are people that preach in the name of Jesus, but don't don't preach the truth of Jesus. That's important too, right? Just because someone says, I'm doing this in the name of Jesus, and I think Jesus helps clarify this. He was casting out demons in the name of Jesus, but Jesus verifies it was also the truth of him. Okay, so just because someone says, I'm doing this in the name of Jesus, doesn't mean anything, but if they're, doing the, if they're doing it in the name of Jesus and the truth of Jesus is being taught, then we welcome and we embrace them. And we love them and we celebrate them and we pray for them. Remember when we learned in Philippians? When, Paul, when we read that, that letter and studied through that, how Paul says, man, there's some people out preaching out of contention. They, they're preaching and, and, and they don't even like me. Like they just, they don't like that, that God's advancing the kingdom's cause through, through me. But I don't get bitter at that. I, I applaud that and pray for them. Why? Because the kingdom of God is moving forward. They're preaching Christ. Yeah, they might have some rivalry in their hearts. They might have all this other stuff going on. But man, the truth of Jesus Christ is going out and going forward. And for that, I rejoice, he says. Super challenging. (laughs) So here's what I I want us to keep hearing. Keep hearing over and over. And it's something I have to remind myself over and over. There's only one kingdom. And it's not here. And I mean like in this room here. Like it's not Church of Bergen. Like there's only one head of the unmovable, unstoppable, always pressing forward, big C, Church of Jesus Christ. Him. Colossians will say very clearly, he's the head of that. So, so if he's the head of all that, if he's the head of the kingdom of God, then we're clearly not the kingdom. Now, we're going to have differences. We're going to have different methods. We're gonna, things are going to flesh out very differently, okay? And we're going to be distinct in that way, and that is right, and that is good. And you should land where you should. You should land where you believe the church is operating in a way that is healthy, but don't demonize others. Don't make your preference a prejudice of something else. Pray for them, love them. And this is something I myself have got to grow in. By nature, as a pastor, seeing other people, examining what they're doing. All the time, my heart has to be checked. Finding myself in conversations, am I, what, what are they really about at the end of the day? And how does that shape the way I talk about them or think about the way that they do things? It takes a massive dose of humility, right? Just cut your pride out. Like cut your legs right out. And that's what Jesus is doing here. He's just giving them a lesson on pride so here's what's beautiful let's just end with this the, the, the Jesus who is giving this beautiful lesson on humility knows what he's talking about like you, you ever had somebody try to like teach you about humility and they tell you how great they are you're like that doesn't really make sense I, I, I remember we, we did this thing in, uh, at Messiah College where it, it was called 
uh, uh, singled out. There, there was a girl who wanted to go on a date, and there were like 20 guys who are really lonely, and they all line up, and she can't see them. And so they, she kind of asks questions. They give questions, and she, they only have a number, one, two, three through 20, and she kind of knocks off, get rid of one, get rid of 10, get rid of five. Well, I'll never forget my, my roommate and good friend Chris Gilbert, who, who gets to the end. Chris, if you're listening, I love you, but you know I tell the story all the time. Um, he gets to the end. He said it was okay. Uh, he gets to the end. It's like one of three, and, and she says, tell me, like, just the best quality about you. And she can't see him. And Chris says, I'm the most humble guy I know. <laughs> and it's like, it's like 3,000 people in Brubaker Auditorium. And I'll never forget, I'm, I'm, I'm in like the front row looking right. I'm going, oh, I'm going, man, of all the, and here's what's crazy. He really is. Like, that, that's what's insane. Like, he, he, he actually is one of the most humble, genuine, transparent men I've ever met. I'm like, man, if you're going to pick one to say, like, that's, such, that's so counterintuitive. Like, you don't say that. That's, that's arrogant by definition in saying that. And he, he was so humble, he didn't even see that, right? And I love it. It gets to her, and they're like, one of which ones she's going to throw out. And she goes, man, get rid of the humble guy. That's what she said. And Chris walks in the front. And then I told her later, I'm like, babe, you missed out. He actually is like the most humble guy I've ever known. It's just I should have said that and not him. So, so, so here's the thing. Jesus, as Jesus is, is giving this lesson, Jesus, though, is the most supreme picture of humility. Like, Jesus isn't saying this stuff like he doesn't know what that means, right? Because Philippians 2 is going to say that, that this Jesus, right, who was at the Father's right hand, he actually, in love, in humility, emptied himself, even though he had full rights, full essence, full nature, being in the full form of God, being God himself. He left all of that. He left prestige for the sake of sinners. Love drove him. Love compelled him. So Colossians will say that he's not only the author of everything that's made, he sustains all that is made. Right, so what that means is as he comes owning everything, deserving rights, deserving privilege, deserving fame, he walks and he washes the disciples' feet. He lets the people whose very hands he made slap him. The very tree that he formed and spoke into being, he hangs on and suffers and dies for you and I. There's, there's no other picture like that of humility. Like you can't, you can't find one out there. You can try pulling and looking, but there is no other picture you get other than Jesus Christ and him crucified. Here's what's amazing. All of that, he goes through all of that knowing he could stop it at any moment. He could have called thousands of angels to come to his rescue. Right, but here's what's profound is being in a position of absolute authority. He's compelled and controlled by divine love that drove him to a position of weakness for the sake of sinners. Man, we look at Jesus, we look at his humility, we look at the mind-bending way that Jesus, who deserved the only thing, person, who walked, lived, died, rose, the only, the only entity, the only human being this side of heaven who deserved full rights, applause, privilege, denied himself. And in humility, thought of the interests of us. Not because we were worthy. He counted us worthy. It wasn't because we actually were. It's because he decided to make us worthy by his sacrifice. So, so here's the good news. Um, the good news is because of that, all who are great in the kingdom of heaven are not great because of you, you're great because of Jesus. 
And in the church of Jesus Christ, the only reason that any of us are great is because of Jesus. It's because of not a single memory verse you have. It's not because of how well your church attendance is. It's not because how much you know theologically. That doesn't make you great. Some of us need to swallow that pill. Myself included. Jesus makes you great. Jesus makes you worthy because you entered his kingdom as a child. And so that's why throughout Luke, he's teaching this beautiful reality that that God has, that Jesus has a kingdom and is setting up his kingdom. And you can enter that kingdom not through your morality, not through your skill, not through your work, only through the provision of Jesus Christ and him crucified for you. So we land on that and throw ourselves on that in great joy, and that humbles our hearts. So, so this, is, this is huge because that's the good news, guys. The good news is not that you get to be a better person. That's awful news if you've ever tried that. I mean, the good news here is that Christ died for sinners. Paul will say, who's the worst? Him. So, so you know, maybe you guys can, can look at just some, some ways or maybe the, the, the humility of Jesus Christ needs to kind of land more pleasantly on your heart today. Maybe it's in your marriage. Maybe you've been just holding stakes. Maybe you've been keeping track. And, and your love for your spouse, your respect for your spouse is based upon how they've performed for you and how well they've spoken to you and treated you. And the gospel says differently. It says true biblical humility says I love, I forgive, I bear with, I love regardless of them. Because that's what Christ did towards us, right? In the cross of Christ. Maybe it's in relationship. Maybe it's with your children. Maybe it's, I don't know where it is. Let's ask God for help in that way. So we can grow in greater joy and likeness of him. God, thank you that, that you're a God that demonstrated humility. Thank you that you give us this beautiful picture of you calling out the disciples. God, as they are consumed with other things that are of much lesser importance. God, as the kingdom is being established, as you are turning your face toward Jerusalem, they're caught with considering themselves. Father, would you free us from the mirror that we stare in every day? God, would you help us by your grace to free us from the enslavement of pride? Thank you that the good news of Jesus Christ breaks that in fullness. Thank you that that for those of us that are in Christ, that pride is not something we just have to mow over a hundred times that there's actually power in the work of Jesus, that we have your Holy Spirit, that we can break the chains of that and walk in greater humility and greater joy and greater life as a result. Father, would you reveal to us in in kind, patient ways the areas that we need redirection and fixing and realignment. Father, would you make this a mark of your church? Would you grow a culture here of people that are humble, humble, and looking to the interests of others that mark true greatness, which is modeling the humility that we see in Jesus. Father, we need help. It's not our natural bent. It's not our natural want. Would Jesus look more beautiful today and by result of that make us more humble? In Jesus' name, amen.